2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my gospel. Uh, my wife and I went to see a movie that's on our local theater now. It was uh, really uplifting. It was a true story entitled Boys in the Boat. It's about a group of depression area poor students at the University of Washington who manned an eight-man crew on a, on a rowing team, and they beat out the Ivy League people with all the money and generations of doing it so they could go to the 1936 and represent the United States in the 36 Olympics. Now, what you need to know about the 36 Olympics is this. They were held in Germany, and Hitler held them there so he could show off the superiority and glory of Germany. And so he, he was prominent. Uh, he wanted the Germans to win everything they could win. Well, in the opening ceremonies, as they walked by Hitler on the stand, as they walked by him, in the movie, I don't know if it happened, but one of the smart aleck boys from the United States looked up at Hitler and yelled, Remember the Alamo! Now, I guess he felt like he had to say something, but I don't think that Hitler spoke English, so I don't think he got it. But if he did, I don't know if he would have known what the Alamo was. But when you and I hear the word, remember the Alamo, we, we know that was the cry that helped Texas to rise up and win its independence from, from uh, Mexico. Well, Paul here gives a cry that ought to be our cry as Christians, Instead of remember the Alamo, it ought to be remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. So I've got several points I want to make from this passage. The first point is this. The cry of every Christian should be remember Jesus. I had a discussion recently with someone who was in another branch of Christianity. Now let me share with you this. I am a Baptist both by conviction and preference. I believe what we believe as Baptists. But... If you were to ask me for my name tag, I would probably tell you this. I feel like I'm a John 3.16 Christian. I will hold my hand out and welcome and love anyone who has truly put their faith in Jesus. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, I think that centering on Jesus happened because of the way I came to know Christ during what I believe was a great revival in America called the Jesus Revolution or the Jesus Movement. Uh, we, there was a movie that came out last year that talked about that, and, and I experienced much of what I saw in that movie. But what happened was young people all across the country decided that they would be identified with Jesus. I, I went to college, and I, every day I wore a different Jesus T-shirt, you know, that had something about one-way Jesus or something on I mean, we were just, that was our cause. That was our movement. We were Jesus people. And because we wanted to be known as Jesus people, Jesus was the one who was most important to us. And I think being birthed out of that movement of God led me to come up with the motto that we've had here twice now and I brought to Opelika as well, that we're here to lift up Jesus and love people. And I want Jesus to always be the issue. I love it when we baptize folks. We oftentimes now baptize at the end of the services, but... Uh, Here's, here's what you need to know. I don't want anybody to, to get baptized because they want to become a Baptist. If you get baptized, I want you to open your Bible and look at the letters in red where Jesus said you ought to do it. Believe and be baptized. Become a disciple and be baptized. It ought to be because of Jesus that you get baptized. I'm grateful for the generous giving that we see in our church. 
But I don't want you to give because of the promises that are given on some of these channels like TBN by the prosperity preachers. If you give to God, you'll become rich. No, no, don't ever give with that false promise in mind. What I want you to do is give because you love Jesus. You know, it's simply a way to say, this is how I show my love for Jesus. It's all got to be about Jesus. My wife was having a discussion with my son this weekend and he talked about, she talked about a friend of hers that she went to church with her in the 80s and this girl was going to a new age church. I'm not talking about liberal, I'm talking about new age. I mean, it was spooky. Uh, about everything they said in that service was wrong. Uh, but as they went out, her friend said, didn't you enjoy it? Wasn't it uplifting? She said, no, I didn't enjoy it. That's not based on the Bible. And then my wife said, I never heard them say the name of Jesus once in the whole service. Don't you go to a church where they never say the name of Jesus. And so that's what we've got to be. We've got to be centered on him. May the name of Jesus ring out in this building uh, for as long as it stands. Let me give you a sad example. In 1628, when one of the rulers of India his wife died. He decided to build her a grand tomb. This is a picture of it. You may have seen it before. It's called the Taj Mahal. And he wanted her to have a tomb that would be magnificent, that would be a way to remember her forever. So he put the wooden casket that his wife was on in the middle of where the plans were. And then they began to build around it. Of course, it took years to build. It was so complicated and ornate. And while they were building it, the man in charge of the constructions kept saying, what's this wooden box doing in them? I keep, I keep tripping on it. Get rid of that thing. So when the ruler came in, when it was finished to see the tomb for his wife, the reason it was built was gone. No one could find the casket. No one could find the, the wife that it was supposed to enshrine. And so folks, if you get to the point where you have a church where people don't talk about Jesus, you've lost the reason why you should, you should be there. Uh, we, we're here to lift up Jesus. Um, for us folks, the salvation is is personal. The Christian life is personal. Um, I'm going to say something. Don't, don't call me a heretic until you hear me explain it. I don't believe there is a plan of salvation. I believe there is only a man of salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not saved by three steps or four steps. You can go to any other religion and they'll give you steps. But what did we, what did we say in John 3, 16? Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. It's trusting in Jesus. So what, what it means to become a Christian is that it's personal. I have put my faith in the person of Jesus as my savior. But also the rest of the Christian life is personal. It's all about Jesus. Um, suppose that there was a time when I was tempted to be unfaithful to, to my wife and there hasn't been because my soul, I've got the best wife in all the world. Why would I go out for a hamburger when I can have steak at home? So, <laughs> and I've got the best there is. But suppose the temptation came for me to be unfaithful. Well, let me tell you this. First thought that might come to my mind is, wait a minute, Scoggins, you said your vows. Remember your vows. But you know what? I know a bunch of men who committed adultery still wearing their wedding rings. They reminded him of the vows. But if there were to have been one thing that would have ever kept me from being unfaithful to Karen, it would be remembering Karen. I love her so. I don't want to hurt her. I don't want to hide something from her. 
So by remembering Karen and how wonderful she is, that has been the great safeguard that has kept me from being unfaithful to her. And folks, the way you keep from being unfaithful to Jesus is just remember Jesus. Remember how wonderful he is. Remember how glorious he is. Keep your eyes on him. The second truth from this verse is this. We need to be reminded to remember. We need to be reminded to remember. Notice how it starts off, remember Jesus. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. As Christians, we need constant reminders in our lives, and especially in the Christian life. When Peter was near the end of his life, he knew his martyrdom was just around the corner. He wrote his last letter, 2 Peter, and he gave us these words. Look at this. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. Now, let me say this. If you've been a Christian for a while, you've studied the Bible, you've been in church for a long time hearing Bible sermons. There's a high likelihood that when you come and hear me or if you come to hear Justin preach, you won't hear any new truth. In fact, I would be cautious. If you go and hear a preacher preach and you're constantly hearing new truth, that means that's a cult. Because we don't have any new truth. Everything I believe is 2,000 years old. Everything I believe is out in the open and everybody's been teaching me for all these years. So, so you don't come because, oh, I hope I learned something new. But can I tell you this? When you come Sunday by Sunday and we go there and we remind you of the great truths, have you noticed when you're reminded of truth, it stirs you up by way of reminder? A fire starts building in your heart as you hear these great truths? Well, the Bible is full of ways that God tells us to be remembering things. In the Old Testament, that horrible night when Israel had been a slave for 400 years and God sent the death angel and killed the firstborn in every home except those who had the blood of the spotless lamb on their doorpost. Then the angel passed over that home. So Israel was spared when Egypt was destroyed. And that night they became free. God said, I don't want you to ever forget this night. So I'm giving you an annual meal, an annual feast, the Passover. And every time on that Passover night, when you take this meal, remember how God greatly delivered you. Later on, the next generation, when Joshua brings them after wandering in the wilderness to the shores of the Jordan River, it was during the flooding time. Think last week. It was during the flooding time. And they could not cross that river on their own. So Joshua was told, start the priest in with the ark, with, get their feet in the water. I'll stop the water. And supernaturally, God stopped the water and it became dry ground. And they took the entire nation of Israel across dry land. And then he took one leader from each of the 12 tribes, said, go back in the middle and pick out a big stone. And so they brought their stones and piled them up on the other side of the Jordan River and said, for generations, when you walk by here, if one of your children says, what does this pile of stones mean? Would you tell them how God opened up the Jordan River? This is a reminder, stones of remembrance. That's still a part of Jewish culture. This is a scene from the Mount of Olives. The best, uh, every Jew wants to be buried on the Mount of Olives. Uh, if you look at that that place, you'll see that on top of the sto- of the of the uh, of the tombs on the side of the Mount of Olives, they have placed stones. They don't put flowers; they put stones, and those are called stones of remembrance. I think that makes more sense because flowers die or get blown away. 
But they put a stone on top of there. And every time you see a stone on top of a tomb there in in Israel, somebody came by and said, I remember this person. This is a stone remembrance. They sat there and they remembered that person at that moment. So God wants us to remember. I think one of the greatest ways in the New Testament that God has caused us to have a time of remembrance is in the Lord's Supper. And we'll begin again in, in February. Uh, first Sunday night in February to take the Lord's Supper again. And what did Jesus say? Do this in remembrance of me. So we need to be reminded to remember. Number three, we're to remember Jesus as both Savior and Messiah. We're to remember Jesus as both Savior and Messiah. If you'll hold this up for a second, let me explain how I got that point. The very two words, Jesus Christ, are words that mean those two other two two words. For instance, the word Jesus is simply the word for Savior. So when you say, I believe in Jesus, you're saying, I believe in the Savior. The word Christ is the Greek word for what the Old Testament called the Messiah. So in essence, you're saying, I believe in the Savior, Messiah, in Jesus Christ. But then look at the next two things. These complement those two truths. Risen from the dead is the exclamation mark that God gave to Jesus as Savior. That yes, your salvation has been accomplished. It's proven by the empty tomb. And then when he said, descended from David, if you go and look at, say, Isaiah 11, it says the coming Messiah will be of the seed of David, will be descended from David. So the Messiah, so here you've got Jesus as Savior and Messiah. Let me just concentrate on remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Paul knows, uh, Peter knows he will be executed shortly. I'm telling you folks, if you're about to be crucified upside down, that would be his fate. Don't you think you'd remember Jesus and him risen from the dead? Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead? We had uh, Greg Heiler, he's the pastor of First Baptist Church, North Myrtle Beach, about a year or so ago, come and preach in our church on Wednesday. He preached at the Fruitland Chapel before he came to preach to us. I loved, he did a good job for us, but he did an incredible job at Fruitland. His message was based on the next verse, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and look, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He said, when you're giving the gospel, make sure you bring the resurrection in. And if you don't bring the resurrection in, he says, you haven't really preached the gospel because his criticism was, and and although I believe the cross is absolutely important, we need to understand why we can be forgiven because he took our place and shed his blood for us. But he said, don't leave Jesus on that cross. Remember that not only was he crucified and buried, he rose again and that resurrection proves that our salvation was complete. And then he added this word of testimony. He said, man, I was really deep into sin when I got saved as an adult. He said, it took a resurrected Christ to pull me out of all my sins. It took a resurrected Christ to make my messed up life get straightened out. So we're to remember Jesus as both Savior and Messiah. Number four, we need to remember Jesus so much that God's gospel becomes our gospel. We we need to remember Jesus so much that God's gospel becomes our gospel. And how do I get that, the end of that verse? According to my gospel. Now, if you read the writing of Paul, 
Almost always when he talks about the gospel, he'll either say the gospel or he'll say the gospel of God. Uh, let me give you an example from Romans 1.1. Paul, a servant of, Je- of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The emphasis here is this is God's gospel. Don't you mess with it. In Galatians 1, he said, some people came there and gave you a false gospel. Let them be accursed. Nobody messes with God's gospel. The truth that you and I hold dear is the gospel is God's gospel. So we say that with reverence. We say that with certainty. But here is Paul writing his last letter before he dies. He said, I want you to know that's my gospel. That's my gospel. And I think there ought to come a time when we so meditate upon the gospel that it moves from the gospel of God to my gospel. I think we ought to meditate on Jesus so much that he comes from being the Savior and the Lord. And make no mistake, he is the only Savior. He is the only Lord. He deserves that honor. But the more we think about him, there ought to come the day when we say, my Jesus, my Savior. One of the things I enjoyed when I took people over to Israel, I think one of the best experiences is when you got to go on a boat and go out on the Sea of Galilee. Everything else has been changed so much or destroyed since the first century. But when you're looking at the landscape around the Sea of Galilee, it's just the way it looked in Jesus' time. And you know that this was so central to him. So what they would do is you get on a boat and these Jewish owners of the boats know how to get tips. Because uh, <laughs> if this is an American group, they put you on the boat, start going out, and they raise an American flag and play the Star Spangled Banner. So the first thing you do is stand up and salute the flag. But what you don't know is this. They ask the guide, what kind of Christian music would you like? And you can have classic hymns, you could have gospel-type music, or you can have more modern-type uh, contemporary music. I always selected the third, the more modern-type contemporary, and almost always the first song they would say, here we are, we're drifting out in the middle. You can see where Jesus did his ministry. It's, he feels so real to you there. And the first song they would sing is Shout to the Lord. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. We have that intimacy with him, don't we? He is the Lord, the Savior, but he's my Lord. He's my Savior. It is the gospel of God. But I want to tell you something, it's my gospel. It's that personal to me. And the last truth is this. Remember Jesus is a command in the continual present tense. Now I'm going to do a little bit of teaching here. There are more tenses in the Greek than we have in the English. And oftentimes you'll find things that are in our English present tense that are not really the present tense that's called present tense in the Greek. I'll give you an example. In Romans 12 verse 1, it said, present yourself as a living sacrifice. That's in the Greek aorist tense. Aorist tense is a once for all. Get up on that altar and say the yes to him that ends all no's. Once for all, make him the Lord of your life. And said, I beseech you therefore, brothers, in in view of the mercies of God, to present yourself, to yield yourself as a living sacrifice. That's the aorist tense, but it's translated in the present tense of English, present yourself. You would know that by reading our English translation. Now there's another verse that's in the continual Greek present tense. It's Ephesians 5.18. It said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
But that's not heiress. That's not once for all. Some of my charismatic friends uh, have come up to me and said, I was filled with the Holy Ghost in 1979. I want to go, how about 2024? You know, it's not a one-time you're done thing. It's continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. My hero, D.L. Moody, he wouldn't put up with hypocrisy. And there was a little lady who obviously went to the altar because she wanted people to see her. And every Sunday night she prayed loudly, Oh God, fill me with the Holy Ghost. Oh God. And he got tired of it. So one day he went down there, put his arm on her shoulder and said, Don't do it, Lord. She leaks. You know, <laughs> and uh, folks, I feel like I leak. I've got to continually be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So it's the continual present tense. This particular command, remember Jesus is in the continual present tense. I am to remember him. I'm to remember him constantly. Can I ask you a question? Have you thought of Jesus before you came to church today? Did you remember Jesus when you woke up? Did you think about how he was born of a virgin, how he lived that sinless life, how he took our place and how he rose, how he's coming again in glory? Did you think about that? We're to constantly be remembering Jesus and that's how you get on in the Christian life. Let me close with this story. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, one of the greatest men of the 20th century, was born only months after the communists took over the Soviet, Russia, turned it into the Soviet Union. His parents had been raised Christians, but he was sent to the public schools run by the communists, and they brainwashed him. And so he became an atheist. He became a voluntary member of the Communist Party. He'd given them basically the control of his life. When Russia went into war against Germany, he enlisted and he fought against the Germans for Joseph Stalin, for the communist government. But then he began to have doubts because Stalin made it known that when you defeat Germans or go into German area, you rape the women, you torture the men, don't just kill them, make them die horrible deaths. And he watched atrocities done under the orders of Joseph Stalin, the head of the Communist Party, and he began to have doubts about the Soviet Union and the Communist Party. So he wrote home to a friend and he said, I don't know if we have the right leader in Joseph Stalin. That friend turned that letter in. And he was arrested before the war, close to the end of the war, he was arrested, sentenced to eight years in a gulag. He would write two books on his experience in the gulag. We can't imagine what it's like to be in a gulag in Siberia. Hard labor. They're hoping you'll freeze to death or die. And he went through that horrible experience. Well, while he was there as a prisoner in Siberia, in the gulag, he developed what they said was a terminal case of cancer of the intestines. They did surgery to take out all of the cancer they could. They sewed him up and they said, you just prepare to die. And so he was in the hospital ward after that surgery. And they asked another political prisoner who was a great doctor, so they let him practice, named Dr. Boris Kornfeld to watch him through the night after that surgery. Boris Kornfeld was a secular Jew, but while he was there in that hospital ward, he became a Christian because one of the workers, on, one fellow prisoner on the ward was a Christian and he quietly led him to Jesus. But Kornfeld kept that quiet. It would be dangerous to let somebody know that you'd become a Christian. Well, that night as he and Solzhenitsyn were alone, he said, I can't hold it any longer. 
And he spent a couple of hours that night sharing about his journey from being a secular Jew to putting his faith in Christ and becoming a Christian. And before those couple of hours were over, Alexander Solzhenitsyn that night had accepted Christ to be his Savior, his Lord. He had put his faith in Jesus. The next morning, he heard rushing feet toward Kornfeld's bed and found that Kornfeld had been killed by one of the guards with a mallet during the night. The last person he ever spoke to was Alexander Solzhenitsyn and led him to Christ. And Solzhenitsyn gave a clarion call to the West and to America that we have got to return to God. But even though he became a Christian, folks, that did not make the gulag more tolerable He said that what would happen when you're in those circumstances, cold, working you to death, inhumane treatment, he said people would break and they would commit suicide and it was easy to commit suicide. All you had to do was get up and run and they'd shoot you dead in the back. The prisoners were not allowed to talk with each other, but one of his fellow prisoners who was a Christian looked at him and could see him tensing up, his muscles getting ready to run. He was at a breaking point. He did not want to live any longer in these conditions. When that cellmate couldn't talk to him, walked in front of him, and then he took his foot and drew a cross in the sand in front of him. According to Billy Graham, this is what Solzhenitsyn said as a result. At that moment, the whole purpose of my existence dawned upon me. I realized that Jesus Christ shed his blood for me on that cross that gave me the courage to live through my imprisonment. Remembering Jesus got him through the gulag. Now I want to give you one last scene to see as we close. This is Solzhenitsyn's picture and this is one of his quotes. A great disaster had befallen Russia. Men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. I believe if he were alive today, he would say a great disaster has been befallen America. People have forgotten God, and that's why all this has happened. Folks, we can't forget God. We have got to remember God. We have got to remember Jesus. We've got to remember Jesus in our own hearts, and we've got to remember him verbally with all those that are around us. Will you pray with me about that now? Oh, my Lord. Jesus, we love you. You're the reason we came to church when it was so cold this morning. It was our love for you that caused us to want to sing these great songs we've sung here today. We love you. We pledge to keep you before our eyes in remembrance as we walk through this week, as we walk through this month, as we walk through this life. Oh, we remember you. In Jesus' name, amen.